Welcome to the Arms Race, the podcast where we try and determine which action star has the highest body count in movie history. I'm Mike Olson. And I'm Kevin Keane, and today we're doing another bonus episode. It's Death Race, released by Universal Pictures on August 22nd, 2008, starring Jason Statham, Tyrese Gibson, Ian McShane, Natalie Martinez, Jacob Vargas, Max Ryan, Jason Clark, and Joan Allen. Written by Paul W.S. Anderson, based on the film Death Race 2000, produced by Roger Corman, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Uh, so, this um, this for me was not as exciting as Son of Rambo. Yeah, well, certainly I agree with that. Not as exciting in the sense that the movie found it boring, or just... Uh, yeah, so maybe exciting is a bad adjective. Not the pleasant surprise. This was a disappointment for me, mainly because Death Race 2000, I have this distaste for remakes in general but there are you know there are movies that aren't necessarily good movies that i think can be remade and made better sure death race 2000 would be a great candidate for that yeah, it's the perfect candidate it, maybe it is the perfect con- candidate con- conceptually it's like okay a race a death race it's like okay that's perfect movie material yes regardless and, of the original yeah and with a higher budget uh cgi it has all of the markings of all right this could be something interesting i like jason statham Man, they're just, for me, there wasn't much redeeming about this movie. Yeah, I think this might end up being a pretty short episode because I think I I liked it more than you. I thought it was, I had pretty low expectations going in and I kind of went, okay, this works for what it is. It's it's accomplishing, it's it's, it's managing to leap over the very low bar it sets for itself. So I thought it was okay. I enjoyed it up to a point. I mean, I certainly wouldn't say I liked it or I would like want to own it on Blu-ray yeah. or something. Like, I probably would have never watched it if we weren't doing this podcast. Uh, as I said, I had low expectations. Those expectations were met. Um, even moderately su- exceeded, I would say. I mean, it did what it set out to do, which is to do a very stock, very kind of straight-ahead, uncreative take oh. on the <laughs> Death Race franchise. It definitely is uncreative. And I think maybe that's... One of the most frustrating things for me is that if you're going to do a remake on some a material that I think has the opportunity to be improved, it should be improved. And I just, I'm not sure where. And here's the, the main thing I want to, I just want to lead right off with this, is that one of the things we complained about the most in the Death Race episode, Death Race 2000 episode, was the arbitrary point scoring system. So I, I really looked forward to it. I'm like, all right, this is the chance with like a real budget and a real studio making this, they're going to, no, they just threw the point system out altogether. It just doesn't exist. Yeah, but to their credit, at least they replaced it with a system that makes sense. Like, you understand the rules. You understand how this death race works. Yes, they totally got rid of the idea of killing pedestrians. You know, it's Which almost. Is what I think the death race, I mean, that's what the little that our culture, the pop culture knows about death race is that. And they just threw it away. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost a death race remake in name only. They've got a couple yeah. of character names that are carried over. Machine Gun Joe, for no apparent right. reason, carries over in Frankenstein. And Frankenstein, who isn't even the same Frankenstein. No. Well, I mean, it's all, it's all, it's entirely rebooted. So, yeah, and they just decided it's going to be a totally different thing. But I I was frustrated with Death Race 2000 because, as you said, we were both confused about the point system. and just, <laughs> It was as, arbitrary. As a game, Death Race 2000 doesn't make sense. Like As a competition, what are the rules? How do you win? It was never clear. At least in this movie, you know how to win. It's like, you know what the rules are. That is fair, and that is true. I actually kind of appreciated, and I think... It makes sense because Paul W.S. Anderson wrote and directed this, and he made a lot of video game adaptations. You know, he directed Mortal Kombat, he did all the Resident Evil movies. 
and I liked how video gamey the rules felt to the point where it's just basically Mario Kart. Yeah. You know, you drive over the little pads and you get a power up. <laughs> right. It's just Mario Kart. It it is Mario Kart with a great probably the highlight for the movie for me was and he and he wasn't in it much. The announcer, I don't know the announcer's name, but his voice is perfect, and I haven't heard it in a long time. Yeah, was that like movie guy? I, in a normal episode, I think I would have looked this up, but it's a bonus episode, so we kind of wing it for these. But it, yeah, that voice sounded familiar. It wasn't the movie guy. I think it was actually, believe it or not, the NFL on Fox. I think he, he did the voiceover for oh. like the intros for NFL on Fox. I think and you're I, right. I don't, I don't watch the NFL really anymore, so I don't know what the NFL on Fox sounds like. I was but just watching it today, so yeah, I think you're right. The, is it's it brought s- to you by Budweiser. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, it's that guy. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Right. I and knew I mean, it sounded familiar. I, I'm, I definitely agree. I think that's that guy. Yeah, and I don't know his name. Didn't look it up. And even the graphics, when they're going through and Xing out the drivers as they die, felt very much like a Fox graphic for an just, NFL game. Just needed a dancing robot. You did, you did the giant <laughs> dancing robot. For some reason, Fox Sports has a dancing robot yes. uh, as, on their uh, screens. And then they have... whatever. They're, right. they're, that's what I was waiting for as he was going through the commentary of yeah. you know which racers had been killed and knocked out. Yeah, you're right. It is very Fox Sports. Fox in particular, for whatever reason, they're just... They, I mean, I think Fox Sports intentionally goes for a sort of Roman Coliseum vibe, yeah. and so does this movie, so I think that's maybe why they feel yeah. similar. But no, back to the rules. I appreciated that at least it was plausible. Like, it takes the concept of Death Race and just boils it down to the most simple video game-esque rules. But, you know, there were nine competitors. You know who they all are. For the most part, you get all their names. And even the guys you don't get their names, you can kind of pick it up from the scoreboard and all that. And you can follow who's still in the race. And the movie does a good job keeping you up to date. Like a sports broadcast. So this guy's dead. You know, <laughs> X's him out, like you said. You understand there's three types of power-ups. There's the, the offensive machine gun weapons. There's yes. the defensive, like, oil slicks and things. And then there's like a trap thing. You r- drive over it and it releases a trap that other guys can drive into. And that all was very easy to follow in a way that was surprising to me. I kind of went like this. I thought this was just going to be a chaotic mess. And it wasn't. I was actually kind of, I, I liked the fact that I was able to follow the action relatively cleanly. It was a little hyperkinetic in terms of its cinematography. Oh yeah, but, the editing for sure was. On, yeah, on and the editing. The but, but even with all that, it had way more clarity when it came to following the competition than I was expecting. I, I thought it did, a, it did an okay job. I think your explanation of it is like Mario Kart, I hadn't thought about that, but that is perfect. But here's what I'm going to say is that it is like Mario Kart, that it's on a track now. They're not driving across country. It's just in this prison. Yeah. So then there is absolutely zero reason for there to be navigators inside those cars. <laughs> that's absolutely true. That needed to be thrown out. <laughs> You're right. It's absurd. It's be like having a NASCAR. It's effectively like NASCAR saying, yeah, you need somebody to give you navigation ideas. Well, two things about that. Number one, I think that there's so little carried over from the original. I think that's just one of those things they felt like this is inherent to the concept of death race. You know, that they have these navigators, so I think maybe that's why it was included. But also, there are no female drivers. Unlike Death Race 2000, these are all male drivers. And to a degree, it makes sense because it's they're all prisoners, yeah. which is not how it was in the original so, you know, prisoners are segregated by gender. So, sure, if it, all the prisoners are being pulled from a particular prison, they're all going to be males. Like, I get that. Yeah, but... So, that's why they need they needed some kind of female presence in the movie. So, that's why they kept the navigators, I they think. They did, but it still doesn't make sense. Because why? if you're bringing these females into the story, which is only for 
attractiveness. Sure. Oh, literally, when when oh, it's, it, when they it, arrive in a place that song, it's like I'm so sexy. Do, do, do. Yeah, I don't remember how the song goes. It's but. ridiculous. But my point is, is that they're from another prison. They're from a female prison. So yeah. why can't you just have the circuit where? They compete against one another. They could easily been drivers. No, that's absolutely what they should have done. That's, yeah. It's amazing how, whatever, 35 years later, um, you know, the original movie had like 40% female drivers, yeah. and then here's down to zero. <laughs> so I don't know if that's Apparently, Paul W.S. Anderson, or I don't know how much, you know, what is I mean, the cause of that. even Mario Kart has female drivers. Come on, man. Sure. Well, just Peach, I think. Uh, like later games added some more. You may be right. It may only be Princess Peach. Well, so, some characters are have an ambiguous gender. Koopa Troopa, I don't know. Who knows? You know, you're right. That is true. Boo the ghost. We don't know. That's when, where when when the ghost was alive. We the, don't know a gender. Koopa Trooper and even Toad. I don't think you necessarily know Toad either. That's true. And Yoshi. That's also true. Yeah. Yeah. A so, lot of them are just kind of genderless. Yes. So yeah. But that that portion of it definitely went significantly backwards, uh, which didn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, and it wasn't done with any particular points to it. It's not as if. It was making some satirical point about, like, no, no yeah. women allowed, and, you know, isn't this... I mean, the whole thing is supposed to be in this dystopia, this dystopian future. <laughs> I don't know if it's because we're watching in 2018, but it's like, it doesn't seem like much of a dystopia. It's like, no. I think the world we live in now is actually worse than this theoretical <laughs> dystopia that they're depicting in this movie, because SWAT uses rubber bullets. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> due process is enforced when it comes to the prison system. <laughs> You know, I mean, the the warden is kind of cheating a little bit when it comes to the outcome of this race. Hey, which, she needed ratings. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it doesn't seem like much of a dystopia. No, and I, that's another thing is that, I, and again, the, the it's ironic that you, <laughs> with my comments on how one of the uh, the uh, rebel leaders in Death Race 2000 looked like uh, from Super Mario with the oh, way yeah, that they were right. dressed and they had the wrenches. <laughs> but I mean, at least you had that, that you saw a little bit of the regime, right? I mean, it was very Trumpian in terms of what you saw. Mm -hmm. But here you get, I mean, this could be any, this could be a prison today. There's I no know. way to tell that there's anything separate from today. The opening crawl is just like unemployment is at an all time high. It's like, okay, that, that's not like military regime. It's just like, eh, things aren't so great. Things are bad. Right. right. And then it's like, Prisons are run by private corporations. It's like that's that's the reality. Run, I was going to say very many of them are run by private corporations <laughs> today. The, the idea, I, I I think that was also true then. So it's oh yeah, like absolutely. The Come. idea that this is some hor I, I don't know if it thinks it's being like dystopian or if it just like it's an opening <laughs> crawl explaining things that are just reality, right? I, it is somewhat ironic that this came out in 2008, like right at the, the beginning of the financial crisis. And things, you know, would get bad. Still not great depression levels, but would get... Yeah, I'm sure they didn't know that when no, they were No, I mean, they were filming it in 2006 or seven. Yeah, I'm just a coincidence. Without a doubt. But w what I find funny about that is that at least... Or maybe not funny... But at least the running man, right? You, you get the setup that you've got these authoritarian guards that if you run, you've got, you know, your head basically explodes. Mm -hmm. You establish, this just looks like a regular prison. No, it does. I mean, there's almost nothing other remarkable than, about it other than there's a track around it. There's a track around it, and they have a giant curtain where they're apparently working on... <laughs> oh, that's right. This, What's this mystery <laughs> thing they're building behind this curtain <laughs> that we couldn't possibly pull aside? <laughs> so dumb. You're already in prison. Or we can't break the rules. <laughs> we can't stay. peek behind this curtain. Are you going to drown in six feet of water or 60 feet yeah. of water? What's the difference? Uh, these guys already have life, life sentences, I would imagine. You know? well, and especially the drivers, right? I got to imagine if they're willing to be in a death race, 
their options are not very good. Right. So what really, what more can you pile on if you go and peek behind the curtain to see the big rig? And it's not as if we ever see any, any of them being punished or like put in the box or some kind of like, you know, escape plan-esque sequence where they're put <laughs> right. in this torture box. No. The escape plan prison is a thousand times worse than this, and that's it's, it's way worse. That's depicted as taking place in our real world. That's not taking place in yeah, some it's like dystopian. a CIA black site, basically. Yeah, I mean it's it's science fiction. It's it's speculative, but it's not right. The future here's this supposed to be this horrible future, and it's like yeah, this thing seemed like regular. It seems like a regular prison. The warden obviously is running this race and making money on it yeah. somehow. And well, the not, corporation is, I assume. Uh, yeah, the corporation that ru- that owns the prison. I mean, that's the only thing that is at all unusual. And Jason Clark will scowl at you a little bit. I mean, that, yeah. that's really all the punishment you get. Wow, Jason Clark, uh, humble uh, beginnings. Yes. Our, our, <laughs> we, uh, d- we determined he was the greatest John Connor in movie history, as determined by this podcast. Yeah, but. and based on, had I seen no, this yeah. first, I'm, I don't know if, I might have had reservations making that declaration. You would never look at this movie and guess that he went on to do big things because, uh, yeah, he's just... He doesn't have a lot to work with either. Even still, he, I don't know what he's doing. Like He's not menacing enough. He's not, like... He just doesn't really have any kind of characteristic that makes him stand out. Like if not, if it wasn't for the fact that he's basically the only guard that we ever see in this that movie, you meet, yeah, you know, he wouldn't stand out if he was in a group of twenty guards. No. He wouldn't be like that guy is the bad is the bad guy. He's just okay, he's just some guy. He doesn't have he doesn't do anything nefarious. He doesn't do anything nice. It's not as if he's a guy who might be sympathetic. It's not as if he's a guy who is evil. He's just a guy. He has no real purpose. <laughs> you're, you're right. He is. He just carries out, you know, what the warden wants. Yeah, he's an order taker, and that's just about it. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, we should mention that uh, there are two versions of this movie. Uh, I watched the theatrical cut, and you watched the unrated cut. Yeah, I I wonder what the difference is. I can't imagine it was much. It might have been a little bit of blood or something. Yeah, how much? I thought the violence was very tame, um, so like, I don't know if there were any moments in the cut that you watched that would stand out and be like, oh, that was really violent because there wasn't much. There was a little bit when, what was his name? Sorry. I, oh, was it, was it, uh, cause yeah, the only really violent part that I remember was from when, uh, the Grim Reaper. Grim Reaper. Thank you. When he gets, gets run of, over. Yeah, gets run over and out of the car. That's about it. Other than, I mean, there were some, there were some violent, mo- you know, crashes, but not. Not like bloody. No, not at all. It's just like gears and like machinery crashing. Yeah. But, Okay, and no, like, sex or anything, nudity or anything? No, no. What could have it possibly been unrated? Then? I remember we had that one, I think it was it was one of the Terminators. We did the bonus on Salvation, and there was Moon Blood Good, yeah. totally gratuitous nudity. Sure. Was the different, one of the two differences in the non-theatrical cut. I wouldn't even speculate what it was in this, honestly. I was curious, because I remember thinking that it was like, this is a very tame, Death Race 2000 was kind of known for its, yeah. I don't know if I'd go so far as to sh- say shocking, but, you know, it was kind of... Guys getting run over and, and getting know. points. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I would say that that was somewhat shocking the at the time of, it was released. Yeah, or like subversive, however you want to describe it. Whereas, yeah, nothing seemed shocking about this movie in any way. It was like, I guess we're supposed to be scandalized that they're making these prisoners race, but it's all voluntary. It's not as if I mean, like you know, the warden Joan Allen, uh, she kind of uses leverage over uh, Statham's character, or she knows where his daughter is, and yeah. blah blah blah. But generally speaking. You know, it's all relatively above board. <laughs> yeah, they're just... <laughs> For a death race, by they, the standards of a death race. If they win five... So the, the premise is if they win five races, they are released from prison. 
and Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein. Well, maybe not the original Frankenstein, but the current iteration of Frankenstein. I think it's not the original because uh, this movie has three sequels, all direct-to-video. Uh, Are you and, serious? And I looked up the summaries of those sequels, and I guess in the second one we see the first Frankenstein, who I don't think is the guy we see at the beginning of this. So. Okay. But yeah, a previous Frankenstein, not necessarily the first. Voiced by David Carradine. Oh, wow. I looked it up. He doesn't have that distinctive a voice, but yeah. They brought in David Carradine just as a little inside joke. Like, yeah, you play the original Frankenstein, you'll just die right away. There were three of these? Well, there were four. There were three sequels. All the sequels were directed to video, so... Um, and none of them had Statham, although I think Ving Rhames is in one of them, and I think Danny Trejo is in one of them, but I don't think any characters from this movie... I think they're all prequels, because I, I, I know the second one's prequel, because I read the summary of it. All right, I didn't look up the box office on this one. I can't imagine... I mean, I know you said they're direct-to-video, but I just... I can't imagine that there was that much demand for this, even to put out direct-to-video. Yeah, I'm sure... Is it just Roger Corman cranking them out? Well, he's credited as a producer on this, but I don't think he had much to do with the production of it. Oh. It is weird that he gets the credit for the original. It says, based on Death Race 2000, produced by Roger Corman. It's like, doesn't the director or the original writers say, get a credit? Have you ever seen that, no, actually? No, never, never. It's bizarre. It's weird. We, ne- we didn't read his name when we did Death Race 2000. We had to be like, oh, and we never do producer credits, but this is produced by Roger Corman. In this movie, he gets a based on credit. Yes. Based on Death Race 2000 what by pro- Roger Corman. What producer ever gets a based on? No, never. I'm sure it was like part of his deal. Like He'll sell oh. the rights, but you have to make sure it's, it's, I'm the credited author of Death Race 2000, <laughs> even though he didn't write or direct it. But, you know, he's Roger Corman. He can do what he wants with the stuff he owns, I guess. And, you know, what? the thing is with the plot summary, about the only other thing to add to it is how Statham is brought into the race. Because, really, it is just as straightforward of a movie as it can be. Well, that's what I was about to say is, you know, I think even if this movie didn't do that well, I have no idea either how it did. But, you know, the whole movie is filmed in one location, basically. Right. And, you know, you, you slap together a couple of cars. And, you know, maybe some a small CGI budget, but mostly it's, I think most of this is pretty practical, I would guess. I don't know. You know, I'll bet the Death Race movies, even the direct-to-video ones, are pretty cheap to make. You find an old warehouse, and you build a track around it, and you drive it yeah, around the track. Yeah, the track just demands on how much the, act, you know, the talent that you bring in to be kind of the headliners, how much they cost you, is probably all it comes down to. Right. And in this case, I doubt Statham had a very high uh, fee in 2008. He's gotten a little bigger as time's gone on, but... He's he's a moderately famous person. I mean, he's famous, but in terms of like actor tears, yeah, you know, he's a little ways down. He's good in this. I think you know he he is just bland. I was tough say, guy, man. Like he, he doesn't have anything really. He's fine, but he, I mean, he's underutilized. I, to be yeah. honest, I think every Ian McShane talk about just wasting a performance. Oh, I, I disagree with that a little bit. I think really? he's doing. He is kind of uh, bringing life to this movie. He's the only one, but I, I really enjoy his performance in this, and I think every time he's on screen, I'm a little more interested and I'm a little more engaged. Really? I, I'm not blaming him. I don't think he really had much to work with. I guess that's my criticism is you've got Ian McShane. I just didn't feel like he had very much to do. No, he didn't, but he made the most of it, I think. I mean, this it's written by Paul W. Anderson, and, you know, no offense to him. He's made some movies that I enjoy. Such as? Mortal Kombat is fine. It hasn't aged well, but it's fine. <laughs> I haven't my, seen... My microphone rejected that. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Mortal Kombat in probably 20 years. Uh, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, Event Horizon's okay. Uh, Sol- Soldier's okay. He's I, never made a great movie, but he's made some okay movies. I thought this this is okay. Yeah, I'm. look, I'm not going to get on here and rail on this and say it's... It, 
it's not a good movie. It's fine. It's not really all that interesting. It's very direct. But at the same time, it's like, why would anybody pay to see this? I mean, I did only for the podcast. I paid the three bucks to rent this. But yeah, otherwise, there's no reason to see this. I mean, it's disposable, and I think it's kind of designed to be disposable. I'm sure nobody making this movie thought, oh, this is going to be a movie that stands the test of time and then will be talked about in 20 years. Like, Even if they did a great job, I mean, I guess Death Race 2000 is remembered, but I think mostly it's remembered because of the kind of subversive humor. I mean, I don't think either of us really enjoyed the comedy. You know, it, It's trying to be subversive and not entirely it succeeding. It didn't succeed, no, very well. But at least it has that kind of satirical point of view which this movie completely erased not at all yeah so you take all the satire out of death race 2000 and you're not left with much you're just left with cars smashing into each other and you know that's i'm sure they just wanted let's see how many tickets we can sell i guess and then we'll move on it's just i don't think even 10 years later they would would think that two people would be doing a podcast about (laughs) death race you know what i mean (laughs) and what's funny is that again i i was starting no i was still paying attention to the movies in 2008 that's not fair you know, I was looking forward to, you know, the Dark Knight and then the Dark Knight. So I was still paying attention to movies. If you told me, you gave me 10 guesses on what year Death Race came out, even knowing that Statham was in it, I don't know if I would have guessed 2008. Even having watched it? No, having watched it, okay. yes. But what I'm saying is prior to that, getting ready for this episode, I don't remember this movie being on the radar at all. And also, I had never seen Death Race 2000. I mean, I knew of kind of the premise. But I guess it wouldn't have been something I would have been looking for. But at the same time, I guess I'd ask the people at the studio, was anybody really clamoring for more Death Race? Well, I think Paul W.S. Anderson was clamoring because uh, from what I was reading, I think Roger Corman distributed or had something to do with his first movie. And he was like, hey, if you ever want to work together again... And Paul W.S. Anderson's like, I want to remake Death Race! Like, he was really into the oh, idea. Oh, it, uh, it was a... Yeah, it was like a passion project passion, for him. thank you project. Yeah, <laughs> and that says a lot about him, that this was the thing that he was dying to... <laughs> but as you said, I mean, you can see the potential of it. You were exactly right, where it's like, this is a kind of movie where, regardless of what you think of the original, there's potential in the idea of a death race. You can go all kinds of ways with it. You can take it very seriously like this one does. You can be very satirical. You can... You know, I think there was an original concept of this version of the movie that they couldn't get the budget for, where they were going to, like... Even farther in the future, and they're going to be driving hover cars, and it was going to be like a worldwide race. And then the budget shrank and shrank and shrank, and then it was just a track around a prison. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's part of the reason why this movie is the way it is. So let me ask you, I mean, if, if you had no choice but to watch either Death Race 2000 or this, what would you choose? It's close. Honestly, I think I'd rather watch this really? again. That I'm surprised. Yeah, I, just, I don't think Death Race 2000 is all that interesting. There's like... Two or three moments uh, that are kind of funny and they're kind of interesting, peppered through. I mean, it's like a 70-minute movie or whatever it is, so maybe yeah. just based on that, I'd rather watch that. But I think it's the accidental comedy of just seeing when they go to the hotel rooms and it's just this giant, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know, like open space in a church that they were able to film in. I think that kind of stuff is the reason why I would rather watch Death Race 2000. Not because I think that the satirical stuff really lands, but just some of the kind of low-budget stuff accidental comedy makes me laugh well we were talking about uh the difference in terms of all-male drivers but there that's a difference also where it's in the original it's like these navigators are there like part of their job is to like sexually service their drivers and (laughs) so ridiculous that's all i mean it's not even really a love story here there's kind of hints of one between statham and uh case the character's name is uh, a little yeah but he 
Like there's like a little bit of a hint of one, but barely. Not much. It's also one of those things where they established that he was married and his wife was killed. We should probably get into like a plot summary. Oh, it's yeah, pretty straightforward. Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying. We should cover it, but outside of Statham and how he gets to become a driver, after that, it it is as straightforward as can be. So that's really what we probably need to cover for the listener because there's no need for them to watch the movie. I, I don't know if I go that far. It's I enjoyed it sort of. All right. Well, all right. Let's let's cover Statham and how he becomes a driver. Yeah, so, I mean, it starts with that initial Frankenstein dying, as we, as we talked about, and then it goes to Statham, and he's, he works at this, uh, like, a smelting plant or something, like, a, I, I don't know, some kind of factory, or, uh, it, it's getting shut down. Yes. And they're getting their final paycheck. And then the union busters are out there, the, the police. They, I mean, that's the only glimpse you get of how dystopian this is. Yeah, but it's even... Like there's labor strife right now. But even then, uh, SWAT shows up, and they're using rubber bullets. It's like, okay, well, this is, you know, if it was really a dystopian future, they'd just be killing them. They, this movie doesn't want to go all the way you with mean, like, the running man? Like, the is, running man. Those people, they just want food? Right, exactly. I mean, that's a dystopia. It's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't seem any worse than the real world, because it's like, <laughs> this. Pro- I could very easily is see this happening in, is, a, in the real world. Is that your commentary, maybe, on the real world is a little bit more Oh, dystopian. I think that's part of it. Okay. No, I, I think, as I said, watching this in 2018, it's like... It's quaint. I, you know, I'll, I think I'd rather live uh, in that world than the world we live in. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, unemployment is better here than I would think, because they make a point to say unemployment is high. But that's, like, the only bad thing, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, yes, SWAT gets called in, and there's, like, oh... I mean, I guess, it doesn't really make sense, because they're, they're laying off all these people in this plant, and you expect it to be, like, oh, those greedy corporate whatever. And then like they reveal, no, the company just went out of business. <laughs> So it's like there's nothing nefarious happening here, you know. It's, it's just incompetent <laughs> in management. Right. It's just it was a badly run company. and It's unfortunate, but it's like obviously the economy's bad and the company went out of business. And, you know, there's nothing. Like why is SWAT getting called in? What's the argument between labor and management? There's nothing to argue about. The company's going out of business, right? It's just like... I think it was the fees they were charging for uh, for cash payment versus check. Oh, right. Well, there's this idea that, like, he, Statham's character doesn't want a check because it's going to bounce. He's like, I don't want this check. I don't trust it. Yeah. Give me the cash. And he gets significantly less for cash. But it's like, I don't know. I don't know what the reality would be like in a situation like that where a plant is shutting down. Uh, what do they do with the workers? And In a bankruptcy, workers, a lot of times that you have an unsecured claim. Uh, and so you're in the general pool of unsecured creditors. You'll, you may get something. You may not. So yeah, actually, that's kind of what I figured. Yeah. So, so I, the fact that they're getting payments on the spot right there seems not so bad. I mean, it seems better than what might actually happen. Uh, both, Is it yeah. just like, here's the cash we have on hand left. We'll split it up evenly between all the workers. Yeah, I, I like, I kind of laugh, though, at the idea that they just had cash sitting around sure. in this, like, smelting plant. <laughs> but I was expecting there to be a thing of just, like, they've got all this cash sitting there. Let's take it. You know, I thought that's that was going to be the, the thank fight. You. That's what I thought. That's actually why I thought, and maybe this was a misinterpretation on my part, I thought the reason that the police were called is because they had the cash and they were afraid that there was just going to be a riot for it. Right. That would make sense. But no, SWAT just shows up and starts shooting rubber bullets at... Workers who are justifiably upset, but they're not, like, violent. They're not really doing anything. They're just standing around waiting for their checks. And Swatch comes in. And, I mean, I guess, I guess that's dystopian, but it's like it didn't really make sense. What is the, what is the conflict? <laughs> the fees that are charged for a cash payment. <laughs> okay. That's all I could take from that. That seems very low stakes. Uh, I mean, and, and very like, arcane in a way that's like, okay, this is what you're fighting about. Yeah. My percentage, you know, what's, it seems strange, but so, anyway. <laughs> Statham takes the cash, takes a beating. Or does he get the cash? He gets the cash, and I don't think he really has any issue with I think he just kind of gets out of there. 
No, he he gets he gets involved in in the beatings. Okay, does he? Because that's when they show the state. That's why where Statham's earning his money. Because th- there's not even like a prison riot in this. There's barely anything to use Statham for what Statham does. Right. Right. Like that basketball court in the Expendables. This is about the only sequence you get it. I think there's only one fight, hand to hand fight. There's one hand to hand fight in prison, and then here, that's it. Oh yeah, I guess there is a little bit of a fight. Yeah, yeah I, po- I totally blacked that out of my memory. No, yeah, the police eventually get get the best of him. He takes a few down, and he I think he takes a club from one of them and starts using it. But eventually, he's overcome. But there's no consequences. Which is why I forgot about it. He just goes home afterwards. Yeah, it's not that, like he gets arrested. Or that's anything. what didn't make any sense. Is the, there are no consequences. <laughs> that's whatsoever. why I forgot it happened because nothing happens as a result of that. Well, I mean, he, he just takes a home. beating, but he goes home. Yeah, he just goes home, and then he and his wife have a moment, right? And yeah. then, and then his wife is murdered. Yeah, by a mysterious figure who then drugs him or something. What happened? How does how does he get knocked out? I no, forget the, the I, sequence of events. I think you take it that they they inject him, you know, with something to sedate him. But and when then, after his wife is killed, I forget how what happens when. No, so they get him first, sedate him, and she comes down, you know, downstairs or whatever, and then. Like, it, it fades to black, and he wakes up next to her, and she's, oh, right, she's yeah. dead. There's an intruder in the home. He, the intruder injects Statham. Yep. He passes it out, and then when he wakes up, his wife's on the floor. Okay, yeah. now, now I'm remembering. When I came home, there was a man in my house. I, I wrote down notes about the fugitive because I was going, like, they should have done it like that where you don't really know what happened. You know, because the fugitive, I actually watched the opening of the fugitive to remind myself how it starts, and it just starts with the police in, you know, Dr. Kimball's home, and the, the wife has already been killed. Here, I'm going, like, what is the scenario? What are they... The bad guys are obviously trying to frame Statham for his wife's murder. But what is the story? That he killed his wife and then took a nap on the floor? <laughs> I didn't think about What that. is their story? How are they framing him when... And then it's obviously going to be drugs in the system. Like, there needed to be a subplot where you see that, the, oh, the police are corrupt and they're in on it and they're facilitating this because they get a cut of the race or whatever. Yeah, that would have made sense. But... The, but the, there's nothing, there's no context given to this race. Yeah, we know there's a prison that does this race, but the larger, you know, socio-political uh, construct. You know, yeah, just where does this prison fit in in the larger picture? We have no idea. You're right, though. He just wakes up. Who called the police, too? I mean, when they well, want Presumably to- the intruder saying, oh, I heard screaming. You know, I'm sure that's, that was what it was. I'm, I'm sure it was the intruder, but my point is, is, what is their justified story? They heard screaming? Okay, m- maybe. I don't know. Sure, right, because the police are in the house. They're in the house, up. and yeah, he wakes up, and they're immediately there. Yeah, because he, he doesn't even have a chance to like run or no do something. There's like again a, a moment, a potential moment of like suspense is just wasted. It's just like oh, you're under arrest. You know, like it should you could have had a you could have milked that for like a, you know kind of a Hitchcockian. Oh no, I gotta figure out what to and, do. And in a way, actually, you're just kind of. Talking it out loud, in a way, the fugitive would have been a more interesting death race, actually, is that he has to just be on the run, and he has to, I don't know if it's accumulate points, but effectively, the race is is that he has to outrun the police, I think would have been far more interesting than necessarily them just driving around on a track. Well, it's funny. What you're describing is actually the novel, The Running Man. That's basically how The Running Man works in Stephen King's novel. Oh, so yeah, I've never I mean, read it. That's basically, I've, I've never either, but I kind of know the, the well, concept. And, maybe that's the reason they can't do it is because <laughs> maybe Stephen King would say, no, 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 that's mine. Yeah, I don't think he's in a car. Maybe, in The Running Man, I think he's just kind of like trying to get he's from a place fugitive. to place. However, yeah. yeah, he's basically a fugitive. I don't think it's necessarily you know, the wrong way to go to have it just be in a prison. Like, no, I, I, I think you could make that work if you give it more context and you understand 
you know, just how it fits in. Like I said, it's just even the ratings. Don't, I don't completely understand. I mean, is there a lot of pressure on the warden? I mean, you don't get any of her motivation other than they need ratings. They need and they need it. So the the backstory is that Statham's character had been a driver, you know, in a past life, and yeah. they needed somebody that could actually, you know, boost the ratings and drive well to replace Frankenstein. So that's why they frame him. It's just so flimsy. Yeah, and we know almost nothing about his previous career. There's zero development on anybody in this movie. I feel like a normal movie would have shown him racing. There would have been some tragedy. He'll be like, I'd never race again. And then cut to five years later, he's working this blue-collar job and then, with his wife. And then... Because he also went to prison earlier in his life, but we don't know what that was about. It's like, for real, he wasn't framed initially. No, yeah, for real. And that's what, what I couldn't tell is, do they have these races everywhere? And that, was he successful as like a race, you know, in a race circuit at some other prison? So, no, I, I interpreted this, although I could have just made a wrong assumption. I interpreted it as he was a race car driver in some, you know, yeah, NASCAR just, or something. something like yeah. And then somehow he broke the law broke and the law. for prison. Yeah. Right. So who knows what he did? And then he got out of prison and was working at this plant. Smelting plant. Right. But like, why is he not racing once he got out? He can't be that good if he's just not doing it at all. Like, the movie needed to... I feel like if there had been a subplot where something went wrong and he vowed to never race again to, to explain why he's not racing when we first see him. Well, the economy's so bad. I think that's why. It's just too much competition. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah, there's, there's no racing circuits anymore. That's how dystopia... That's really the dystopia about this. There's no racing circuit. But the one guy was a former NASCAR. The, there was oh, a guy in the prison who I actually wasn't. I think you're right. I forget his name. I got the names listed somewhere in my notes, but... Uh, we know NASCAR <laughs> still exists. You, all right, no, you, you got me there. So why didn't she just make him Frankenstein? That makes way more sense. <laughs> not, I mean, as usual, none of the details of these things make sense. I, you know, I, I was willing to kind of go with it up to a point, but <laughs> now that we're talking about you, right, why wouldn't she Go get the NASCAR driver. He's already in prison. He doesn't need to frame him for anything. I mean, I don't know if he's guilty or not. Maybe she framed him, too. And but he's there. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, and also, all the details of, like... Because, like, Tyrese plays Machine Gun Joe. By the way, I was just waiting for him to be Tyrese from The Fast and the Furious. I was just waiting for him to be Roman. He's not that different. He's a little more... Uh, uh, he's a little more menacing. Yeah, a little more menacing. But, I mean, Roman in Fast and Furious... In, in Pardon me, in Too Fast, Too Furious... <laughs> Was a, a lot more menacing. I, I'd, I'd say the Roman from the second Fast and Furious and is, is like Machine is Gun a Joe. little bit more like Machine Gun Joe. But yeah, he's he's a little more villainous. He's a little more of a of a heavy yeah than Roman ever was uh, in the subsequent movies to Too Fast. Yeah, I mean, eventually in those in the Fast and Furious movies, he just becomes comic relief <laughs> to the point where he's just a buffoon. <laughs> in Too Fast and Furious, he's a relatively plausible like okay. street racer, criminal, like driver, like for like you know. Right. Getaway driver or whatever. All right. But anyway, I forget what we were talking about. Oh, so he's... I don't understand how the whole Frankenstein thing works. Because he goes to the race team, the Frankenstein race team, and Frankenstein's not around because he's dead. And they're hiding the fact that Frankenstein died. Which is incredibly stupid. I mean, that's kind of how the Death Race 2000 worked. If I, I think that's yeah, what but they say. No, but here's the problem. They're in a prison. How can they not know who the guy well, that, is? That's what I was getting at. It's like, okay... Uh, Machine Gun Joe goes to the team and says, tell, you tell Frankenstein the next time I see him, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, wait. <laughs> Frankenstein is in the prison with the rest of the population. Yes, thank you. Does he wear the mask the whole time? Because <laughs> Machine Gun Joe seems to, he talks as if he's seen him around the prison all the time. But that's not wait. even the original Frankenstein. So how is he just a guy? That's really where the, the prison aspect of this comes apart. <laughs> yeah, it's Frankenstein. Really 
I mean, in in the concept in the original Death Race two thousand, it, it it is plausible, right? That he could you know just be reclusive and he only comes out to race makes total sense. Yeah. In a prison, this makes no sense. <laughs> there's it's no a, hiding in a no, prison. There's not. <laughs> I think it would have made sense if they Even had... Even if he wore the mask the whole time, once he's dead, people are going to know he's not walking around. They say he's been in the infirmary for six months. <laughs> That's their explanation? That's their explanation. No, he's still in the infirmary six okay, months later. But there's people that work in the infirmary and can clearly <laughs> note the fact he has not been here since his corpse was removed. Well, seemingly all the prison staff are in on this. They know that Frankenstein is multiple people. But why not just... Admit it to the prisoners. Who are they going to tell? It should be a thing where the prisoners all know what the deal is. They know that Frankenstein keeps changing. And, you know, it, sh- it should have been a point of contention where it's like yes. Tyrese is going, hey, you know, uh, what's Jason Statham's his character's real name? I, Jensen something? That sounds right. Jensen, yes. I think it is. I think it, that could have been a nice wrinkle where it's like Jensen's coming in. Frankenstein, quote unquote, has already won four races. So Jensen only needs to win one race to get his freedom, and everyone else resents him for it. It's like, oh, just because of this ratings thing, you get this special treatment. Yeah. But no, it's instead, it's like you tell Frankenstein when you, I, the next time you see him, none of it holds up to scrutiny. It just does not make any sense at all. But. Well, and the other thing that's lost in this, the way that this is presented, you never, you don't see any of the audience members or anybody that's interested in these races. Yeah. So like the, like Death Race 2000 does establish Frankenstein has like a cult, right? I mean, he, he's, and there's different other characters in that other drivers have fans. You don't see any of the people in this, and I'm sure it was budget reasons, but that really removes, to me, the whole reason why even have Frankenstein? Other than the connection to Death Race 2000, there's no need to. Yeah, You I don't mean, need favorite drivers, necessarily. You could just make up that the NASCAR guy was the favorite driver, right? It, it, I don't think it matters. Well, but we're told that Frankenstein is a fan favorite, and that when he's racing, more people buy the package. Because it's like a pay-per-view <laughs> internet thing, I, right? I did like that, yes. that You could buy one race, or you could buy the package up front for the low price of like $299. Well, that's another thing. They kept the idea of a three-day race, but they're just driving laps, and each, each portion <laughs> is like 20 20 minutes long or something? It's so dumb. They could do this whole race in a day. I mean, I guess they want to spread it out so that people will buy the whole package. You know, if they could spread it out to three days, they can make more money. Maybe that's all it is. Well, and then they had to reveal their, their big rig, which is the big rig. It was so dumb. Yeah, I really did not like that. That's the one thing where, in terms of like the rules of this race, it ruined it for me because it's like, okay, everything in this makes sense. You want to eliminate your opponents, but the ultimate goal is to finish first in the, on the last day. Yeah. But then, yeah, they bring up the Dreadnought. It's just big, <laughs> like tanker truck. That's it's like got some, like flamethrowers and all kinds of weird stuff. Machine guns, but it's like that thing takes out like half the field. I think only two guys die on day one. Yeah. So there's seven left going into day two, and five of the seven are killed on day two. And I think all five of those are killed by the Dreadnought. So it's like, how is this a fair competition? Okay, okay, like she needed to boost the ratings. <laughs> If I lived in this future and I watched this, I'd be like, this is BS. How is this a fair competition? Because, like, I get the idea that she wants to rig the race. She doesn't want Frankenstein, quote-unquote, to win because then she'd have to let Jensen, whatever, go. So she doesn't want that to happen. So she should be secretly and, like, surreptitiously cheating the race. Well, and you get that a little bit because his weapons and and, uh, defenses don't work. They're sabotage. Yeah, and I think that makes sense to me because it's like, it's secret. She's secretly trying to put her finger on the scale. But this isn't secret. It's a big tanker, a dreadnought. If I was watching this 
If I was a fan of the Death Race... The Dreadnought. <laughs> that's what she called it, the Dreadnought. If I was a fan of this Death Race, and it's like, this year, for whatever reason, there's a Dreadnought, <laughs> and the Dreadnought took out five out of the nine competitors arbitrarily. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a competitor. The Dreadnought can't win the race. So... It's effectively the pace car. It's a... No, but it's not the pace car. It's as I, if it's as if NASCAR just kind of in the middle of a race put on a tow truck to start wrecking cars. To wreck cars. NASCAR decided <laughs> we don't want this person to win. It's not secret at all. So it's like, how is this part of the rules? And if I am a fan of Death Race, how is this at all fair? Because it's just literally machine gunners just shooting at guys. They can shoot whoever they want. If they want so and so to win, they can totally it is rig true, the game. But. It does give Machine Gun Joe and Statham the opportunity to team up by by running over one of the power-ups at the same time with their tires. Oh, right. They take it out together. What do they do? I don't remember how they take it. So one of the the things that you said that kind of like pop up if you run over it as part of the chorus, that's what they do. That's what I love, too, is the Dreadnought seems to be indestructible, but it was not designed to be able to withstand the chorus that the Warden – well, I don't know if the Warden designed – but right, wouldn't you think that there'd be some sort of override or whatever that the dreadnought would be able to override so that it couldn't be taken out that way? Uh, if they were thinking ahead, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but apparently they weren't thinking ahead. Yeah, because it seems like, they, like certain things are automatic and certain things aren't. Like, yeah, those traps, it seems like if you drive over this pad, it'll activate the trap automatically. And it's what the dreadnought crashes into. Whereas the machine guns, if you drive into a machine gun or over a machine gun pad on the ground... It'll activate your machine guns, but it seems like that has to be done manually by the warden's staff. So well, no, she was. I think she was over the first lap. The weapons were turned off, right? So I think what she was doing is overriding because she was. It wasn't supposed to be that they give access. I think she was overriding because oh, she was right. cheating. So yeah, you're, you're right. So if if the thing is lit up and your car drives over it, it automatically unlocks your machine guns. Yeah, but she has the ability to turn them off. Man, yeah. When you're driving, you're about to get there. I'm going to power that right, one down. That, that's yes. right. So technically, it's automatic, but she can turn them off as soon as you're about to drive over it, so yeah. that you don't get the. Thing. So it effectively in the Mario Kart world, it'd be like the question mark all of a sudden turns to blank when you drive. We're about to drive over right, it, exactly. and then your opponent right behind you. She turns it right back on, right. and they get the question mark. That's exactly right. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the sort of thing where the way it's supposed... You know, in, in, in kayfabe, I'm going to use a wrestling term, like, in, 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 the, in the fake reality of uh, this race, these just kind of cycle on and off randomly, and you want, you want to try and drive over the yeah. weapons, but maybe it'll shut off on a timer, and you just will miss it. But it's not... Secretly, it's not really a timer. It's the warden with a switch. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's the sort of thing that seems easy to cover up. With the dreadnought, it just it just doesn't make sense to me. The dreadnought, we're just gonna drive this thing. What if what if the dreadnought had killed everybody? You know what I mean? Like day two, everybody's dead. Sorry, <laughs> you paid for day three already, but there's no race because everybody's dead. No refunds. Dancing dancing robot. Dancing robot just laughing. No refunds. No refunds. Bags of money. Anyway, but yeah, the dreadnought takes out everybody but Machine Gun Joe and Frankenstein, quote unquote. And then they decide they're going to team up and escape on day three, yeah. which was so predictable. It was predictable and it was dumb. I'm sorry. See, I half agree. It was predictable, but I still enjoyed it. Really? I kind of went like, they're going to team up and escape, aren't they? But I kind of went like, you know what? I hope that happens because that'll be at least an exciting escape sequence. You want to see the warden get the comeuppance. And you, I like the, I, I like the fact that the end of this movie is these two guys rejecting the competition and escaping rather than death race 2000 where it's like <laughs> Frankenstein, even though he 
is appalled by this competition and just doesn't approve of it, and he wants to mur- you know, kill the president so that the death race can be abolished. But to do that, he has to win the race. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't actually reject the race. He, he finishes. He, he plays the game, and then in the end, just almost unrelated to the race, he kills the president. You know what I mean? Like, the yeah. two things almost don't have anything Line to do up. with each other. Yeah. Whereas here, just conceptually and thematically, the idea that we're not going to finish your race, you know? To hell with your race. We're taking the cards you gave us, and we're going to escape. It worked for me, even though it was very predictable. I mean, the instant they team up to take out the Dreadnought, you're kind of going, like, okay, they're going to team up on day three and escape. This is setting up their team up. So, yeah, it was predictable, but I still liked it. You'd think the warden could have figured that out, too. You'd think so. I mean, she thinks that she has control over stuff, and also they planted a bomb on Frankenstein's car as a a fail-safe, but then absolutely did not have any oversight over that bomb at all. I'm going to plant this bomb here and then walk away and never think about it again. That should work out well. It's like (laughs) Ian McShane's character just took it off again and put it in her office. <laughs> How did they not catch this? They didn't, they didn't think the of this? That was maybe the dumbest part of the movie. Yeah, I'm just going to put it in her office. No problem. Yeah, I mean, the movie is very unimaginative in that way, where it's like, they're going to escape. How are they going to escape? They'll just drive and shoot guys. You know, there's no real trick to it. They just get away. They just right. drive faster and they get away. They're going to turn the tables on the warden and they're going to take her bomb and going to blow her up with it. Well, how do they do that? Do they trick her in some clever way? No, they just take the bomb off and put it in her office. <laughs> there's no clever twist. They just do the very basic thing. That's really what this movie is. It is like the most basic version of this concept in every single way. It's true. Um, but there's something enjoyable about that and it's very straightforward and I guess meat and potatoes, death race movie. Like it's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I think for me, I still would have preferred Death Race 2000. I would have preferred not it just circling around a track, and I'm sure it was budgetary reasons. I would have preferred the, if the navigators were going to be there for there to be some. I was just mad the fact that, you know, GPS should be invented in this dystopian future, especially now a movie made in 2008. But if you're going to have them, at least then have the, some a reason for them that they're not navigating a NASCAR track. So for me, I think I'd still rather Death Race 2000 but I don't feel like I wasn't angry. Like, oh man, this this was a total waste of my time. It was enjoyable enough to watch once, never to ever think about it again. Yeah, well, I agree. I'll never think about it again, too. But I think I did like it more than you. Um, what you just said there made me realize something in in terms of the navigators. I think I would have a I would have been willing to buy that more if the racers didn't also have a pit crew in their ear talking to them. If it was like. <laughs> even put that together you don't need both you know what i mean if it was just like oh you can take him on the left or you can you know something like You're coaching right. him it's ridiculous it seems very redundant well i don't even the, the taking him on a left again it's the same track you already know it doesn't change well they talk about shortcuts all the time like oh he's taking a shortcut but it's like don't all of them know about these shortcuts why would only one of them take the shortcut <laughs> you'd think if it's a shortcut right everybody would take it right and it's like then day two, they don't take the shortcut. It's like, it doesn't seem like there's any reason to not take that shortcut. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. And the other thing is that, I don't know, just Tyrese and Statham down in Mexico. I'm like, why, why are they buddies? I mean, I understand teaming up to escape, but then wouldn't they go their separate ways? I guess they bonded while escaping. <laughs> they were mortal enemies one day prior, <laughs> but now they bonded. Because- I mean, I totally buy the enemy of my enemy, right? Fine. That's fine. But once they're out, there's no reason for them to ever speak to one another again. I mean, you're if right. If anything, they're putting each other in jeopardy, right? Because it's more likely they'll both get caught being in the same place. I think they wanted it to be a the Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. Yes, that's exactly what it felt like. Thank you. No, I think that's what they wanted it to be. 
But there's, I mean, that movie spent two hours <laughs> building that, right. that friendship. And this movie spent ten minutes of them, not even ten minutes. No, like, it was probably two minutes. Yeah, of them escaping together. And it didn't establish them as friends. Again, it established that they had a common, common enemy, which totally makes sense. Shawshank Redemption, they might have had a common enemy, but that's not why they escaped. And that's not why they met up. Well, one, Red doesn't escape. He gets paroled. Right. Well, I think near the end of the movie... Machine Gun Joe ju- does figure out that Jason Statham is Frankenstein. They kind of talk around it a little bit. So, I mean, there's a little bit there where there is a relationship building. But for most of this movie, Jason Statham's character is nothing to Machine Gun Joe. He's just some guy because he's posing as a member of oh, a pit, pit crew. crew. <laughs> Which, by the way, doesn't anyone notice he's not there in the pit crew during the race? I'm that- in the pit crew. Where were you during the race? Never mind that. I was getting ice cream. <laughs> right. It's like Clark Kent and Superman. <laughs> Why do we never see Jason Statham? And, it, and I think there's one instance where somebody asks him something, and he doesn't know anything about... Oh, right. He's like riveting or something. Yes. But he can't rivet for, for shit or whatever. That's exactly. He doesn't know anything. Yeah. Uh, do you want to touch on... There's, there's the subplot of... Uh, I, have the guy, I have the character's name here somewhere, but the guy who it's revealed killed his wife and like the warden... I mean, I, we sort of touched on it, but the warden killed his wife so that she could get him in her prison to pose as Frankenstein. Yeah, I mean, um, so we touched on that. But yeah, there's his this rival, the guy who actually carried it out, who was a prisoner and a driver. I, I mean, you can't. The reason that I didn't even bring it up is that it feels kind of manufactured. He doesn't really feel like much of a villain in this movie. Well, I know I, he is, but he doesn't feel like it. That's what I wanted to say is like... He's introduced as just, like, one of the drivers, and there's nothing really m- remarkable. But I guess there is, like, a brief scene where there's, like, in the lunchroom, he, like, spits in his food or whatever. Yeah, and then he, he makes the motion, the, the same, like... The finger gun. Finger gun, that that's how oh, Statham realizes he's been set up, and this is the guy who did it. Yeah, it's just, like, nothing really comes of that revelation. It's not all that shocking. It sh- I mean, I feel like it should be more shocking than it is, and then... Does he even get revenge? Does or does that guy just get killed by the dreadnought? Oh no, he does get revenge. He gets out of the car and like yeah. chokes him or beats him to death or something. Uh, yeah, so he's. I think the dreadnought wrecks his car, but he survives the wreck. And then Statham stops his car. I think backs up. Right? Yeah, he goes, goes backwards and goes like, back. "What's he doing?" Yeah, yeah, to finish him off. You would think that wouldn't be that uncommon in a death race of just like make sure I need to make sure this guy's dead. I'm yeah. gonna, I'll get out and just choke him to death. Why not? Like they're so shocked that he's getting out of the car. Yeah, I do think this movie is playing it pretty well with characters are never stupid because like that guy while the racing gives Statham the finger guns and immediately he figures out oh that's the guy who killed my wife. I was expecting the movie to have like this 15 minute like I thought it was going to be more of like something's up with that guy and I got to figure out what it is. It's like no immediately he goes like oh he killed my wife and the warden got him to do it so that I would become Frankenstein. He figures it out right away. I was like okay thank you movie for not making Statham's character a complete moron. He actually figured it out right away and then when uh, Machine Gun Joe figures out that Statham is Frankenstein I don't remember the details, but I remember thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, good. They're not trying to pretend like he's stupid. Like, he figures it out right away. They have kind of like a double speak where it's like, you tell Frankenstein, whatever. <laughs> he obviously can tell. He knows that uh, Statham is Statham Frankenstein. But it's like, in both cases, I kind of like, okay. I appreciate that they didn't insult the audience's intelligence and went like, okay, yes. And it's the obvious thing. They're going to understand this is obvious and they're going to figure yeah. it out. Well, and it's consistent, right? Is The movie is very fast-paced and direct, so they don't waste any time of... Yeah, I guess so. Drawing out 
figuring out the plot. <laughs> I guess I'm giving this movie too much credit because you're right. It's not because they don't want to insult the audience's intention. They just want to Be get done. it over with. <laughs> yeah, it's like we could draw this out and play dumb, but we'd rather not just because we just want we to have get, the racing. We want to race and shoot and get the dreadnought. Yeah, I had assumed that it was you know, an intentional thing. Like they didn't want, they wanted their characters to be smart, but no, you're right. It's just, the movie doesn't want to. I, I just want to go back quickly to your comment. <laughs> what if the dreadnought wiped out the entire field? How awesome would that have actually been? Is like a twist, twist on this movie. <laughs> sure. That, that, that just wipes out the entire field. And that's the end of the movie. I, if this was a movie that was showing the audience's point of view and showing them like, Oh no, you know, like I could see a version of this movie where that happens. And then the audience, like, revolts and like overthrows it's the like government the, it's like the running man <laughs> yeah. and they're ready to start overthrowing yeah, the exactly. authoritarians <laughs> it's like in the running man where they're betting on uh, richards they're betting on the dreadnought <laughs> it's unprecedented what do we do <laughs> they want odds on the dreadnought. <laughs> yeah, give me odds on the dreadnought you're right that would have been some kind of a twist can i just say i would have been furious if that bookie would have been as bad of the odds for the dreadnought <laughs> as they were for ben richards i mean yeah the, the dreadnought I mean, it doesn't seem like it's in competition, but it's obviously, like, <laughs> it's stocked to the gills with weaponry. And the Dreadnought doesn't have to drive over those pads. It's going to shoot whatever it wants. Right, exactly. Yeah, it seems like the odds on favor. But yeah, the, the Dreadnought is still shooting at Machine Gun Joe and Frankenstein. Yep. It's not as if it's going, uh-oh, I can't no, kill everybody. Right, it's not being, dis- it's not discriminating, knowing, oh, we want to keep the, the two most popular on the road. We got to make sure of that. It seems to be just firing at will at they're, everybody. Yeah, they're still trying to kill the two of them. So the dreadnought is bad. You know, I guess it's just Paul W.S. Anderson Wanted saying, to... what do we do on day two? We need something to <laughs> happen that's different. We need to juice it up with something. Because you're right. It, the fact that it's just a track and it's the same track all three days. Yeah, what do you do different? At least Death Race 2000, it's like, oh, now they're in the Midwest and different things are happening. They're coming across different people. and Different people that could get lost. They can take a different route that some of the other drivers didn't. That, there's yeah. more variables there. There's just not enough variables in this scenario. They can get lost and Machine Gun Joe can call his navigator a baked potato in anger. <laughs> I really wish they could have called back to that. I wanted Tyrese to call someone a baked potato. Well, Tyrese, he certainly, he churns through the, uh, the navigators. We, we didn't... We didn't touch on that. I mean, he, I think he goes through three of them in oh, three at, days. At least. Maybe four, because that guy who's in the car at the end also dies. <laughs> I forgot about that. Just randomly gets shot, and it's like, the movie doesn't care at all. Because I remember thinking, because, okay, yeah, he, he keeps like kicking his navigators out of the side of the car. I, I forgot about that, because you're right. He's, he's kind of one of our heroes at the end. And, yeah, he's, he's a bad guy. But, yeah, he's just like this. He keeps going through his navigators. And there's this notion that, like, he has male navigators because he's gay, and I don't know what the point of that is. That that's supposed to be funny, or like what even is the why is that even there? I don't even I, know why. I I don't know. I forget who first says it, but it was like, oh, they they bust in the female navigators. Oh, except Machine Gun Joe, he's got a male navigator because he's gay. And I wasn't sure if it was like the guy was just taking a shot. Like you know, these are prison guys, and it's like you could see someone being like, oh, he want, he prefers to have a male navigator. It's like I I, I kind of assumed. That we would learn, like, oh, he actually has a reason why he prefers male navigators, and everyone just assumes this or uses it as, like, to take a shot at him or whatever. Yeah. But no, he's actually gay, and, like, that that's true. 
he has male navigators because he's gay. It's like, well, is that how it works? Like, is that a rule in the rule book? <laughs> like, well, based they, on, they, they, <laughs> it depends on your sexuality. What kind of a, I just don't even know. Well, based on the original death race, if those rules apply, then yes, because you said it seems like the only real purpose that they serve is like sexual favors yeah. for the drivers. No, I, it would make total sense in death race 2000, but it doesn't make sense in death race because what does it matter? What? The, yeah. That those sexual favors are not happening in this movie. Right. Unless it's maybe implied and I missed it, but I don't think so. No. No, the prisoners, they're not going to let them do that. As soon as the race is over, the, women, the female prisoners get back on their bus and they leave. Right. So, right, that's not an aspect of this. So, <laughs> why do they even... They say, well, they say they bring in the female navigators for ratings to get some like TNA for their broadcast. So, if that's the case, why wouldn't they force Machine Gun Joe to use a... Because the purpose of the navigators is so that there are ladies on their broadcast. I just don't understand... If that's a joke, like, is this movie? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that is. I think it's just a, <coughs> a callback that they, you know, felt was necessary. And like you said, is that you've said it in this prison, and they decided that they couldn't have a league that just had both driving. So they said, "Well, how do we get women in?" Oh, we'll keep the navigators around because that was part of Death Race. I sure that's the only explanation. No, but you understand my point. Where in in the reality of this movie, the only reason why these navigators are there and why they're all women, except for one, is for ratings. So that they can have, you know, these hot ladies in their race for their internet broadcast. Yeah. So, <laughs> by that logic, they should all be women, regardless of Machine Gun Joe, what his, Probably, his sexual uh, orientation is. Why does it matter? Why doesn't he still have to have a lady navigator? I guess, too, that the rules would be is they don't get to pick their navigator. Because what I'd say is that... No, yeah. I mean... But the thing is, is he's constantly... Machine Gun Joe is getting different... He's to say, you, you're getting in, you're replacing. It's not like the... Prison guards or something are, are telling him who is his new navigator. So they must have some... He's just pulling people off of his pit crew. But, like, let's say uh, one of the other... Let's say, you know, the Grim Reaper's navigator was killed during the race. He can't just pull one of someone from his pit crew. One of the like men. He? One of the men? Yeah. But it seems like there's a rule that says you can only... It does, but that's what I'm asking. You can is only how use people gun, who might, might potentially be a sexual partner. Machine Gun Joe just keeps pulling over and saying, all right, you're getting in the car now. Why does he get to... Yeah, it seems like an advantage because he, all these male prisoners are surrounding him and he gets he, just, he, he is allowed to have male navigators because he's he, gay. He also seems to have a really large pit crew. He does. There's like 10 or 12 guys on his pit crew. And you'd think Frankenstein, who's the most popular, he'd have this huge pit crew. He has three people. Right. And one of them seems to just be, I, I don't know, a, a human calculator. Oh, yeah. I mean, or Wikipedia uh, or whatever he is. What's he called? Lists. Lists. Yeah, I don't know. He just hap- I guess he's the guy who knows a lot about cars or whatever. Apparently. But um, the point is, is that Frankenstein, who's the most popular driver, has a pit crew of three. Machine Gun Joe has 10 to 12. Well, you want to minimize the number of people in your conspiracy because that's, <laughs> they, uh, these, the three of them know that, that Frankenstein is not real. You're right. So maybe that's why. I didn't think about that. Oh, but back to my original point. So yeah, when they were escaping, and yeah, Machine Gun Joe is just going through his navigators. He just pulls some random guy in and says, okay, you're racing with me today on day three. And then there's this escape attempt, and I was thinking, like, that guy's really lucky. He's just some no, nobody guy, <laughs> and he's getting to be involved in this escape attempt. Oh, but no, he doesn't. <laughs> but no, he just gets gunned down, and the movie does not give a shit. The movie doesn't care that that guy died. Not in the least. Well, wait a minute, though. Does the movie care about very many of the people who die? Not very much. Oh, no. But I mean, the other drivers are obviously all... It, it plays them all as like really tough. Like you know, they're ba- they're all bad guys. They're all criminals, and they're all yeah. violent and whatever. So yeah, we're not supposed to care when 
fourteen K dies or whatever. Because uh, he's in the triad and all that. And you know, you learn you know, you learn enough about them to know that they're bad guys and and it's okay if they die. Yeah. Despite the fact that Jason Satham was framed, so we don't know who was framed and who wasn't, but that NASCAR driver could be framed for all we know. I was really expecting him to be a big part of the story. It's like he's a NASCAR driver. They're they're building him up to be like a real threat. Like, oh, he's he's a real tough driver. Yeah, he can drive. <laughs> now the dra- he's no match for the dreadnought. He dies in day one, doesn't he? I don't think he even makes it to the dreadnought. Oh, I think you're right. I think he dies in day one. Also, he's a he's a NASCAR driver, but he drives some European car. I think he drives like a, a Ferrari or something. I noticed it because it's like, okay, NASCAR, he's going to be the, I'm driving yeah, a Ford. He's going to have a Ford or a no, Monte Carlo. I, he's driving some European car. It didn't make sense to me. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. That's, uh, that's about all I have. Is there anything else you want to cover? Uh, did we miss anything? Not really, right? I mean, no, it really is straightforward. I, did, I do like that we both immediately at the same time said the Shawshank Redemption oh. because that's all I could think of. The ending of this movie so badly wants to be the Shawshank Redemption, except Case at the end shows up with his daughter, with uh, Statham's daughter. Which is whatever. Well, I, I actually wondered because, you know, Paul W.S. Anderson's movies are very kind of, uh, well, I shouldn't make assumptions, but Shawshank Redemption just ends with the two of them right. on a beach. Fixing a boat. And yet in this movie, one of them has been established as gay, and I think maybe the reason why she shows up is because the movie, they're like, don't, we don't want the, oh, <laughs> we don't want to stay some just alone with him. I mean, honestly, I wonder if that's part of it. Because it didn't seem like there was really much of a love story, but then she shows up at the end. She does, but again, this is what I get to. This is even more of a reason that they just shouldn't be in that final scene together, is that there's no reason for that. They had no... Yeah, you're right. They had no French. They are not Andy Dufresne and Ellis Redding. No, that's There's true. There's no reason for them. And the logical would be for them to be as far away from one another if you're running from the police, right? Th- actually, think back to The Fugitive. I don't care which way you run, so long as you run yeah. a, a different way from me is effectively what... And that's the, almost the exact same situation where these two guys who only... <laughs> their only association with one, one another are, are as co-escape attempts. Right. They have mutual interest to escape. Yeah, exactly. Beyond that, they have no connection with each other whatsoever. So yeah. the cleaner way is just to have him go to, you know, uh, go to Mexico, and somehow he's gotten word to Case to bring his daughter. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, her showing up, I don't understand that, that ending. Because it is, it is, again, going back to how simple this movie is, their escape attempt is like the simplest <laughs> like scam possible because... All they really do is Statham jumps out, Case, his navigator, puts on the mask, the Frankenstein, Frankenstein mask, and poses as him, and then Jason Statham and Tyrese get away in Tyrese's car, I guess. Yeah. Even though there's supposed to be trackers in these cars, and where are they? I don't even know. But the point being, she doesn't mind getting caught because she's got a signed release from the warden saying, hey, if you help me stop Frankenstein from winning the race, I'll give you your freedom. But she didn't, and they're still honoring it. And not only that, how much faith would you really have in that piece of paper? It seems like it's very easy for that to just be destroyed. That's what I meant earlier, where it's like all rules are being followed, even like you know the rule of law is being followed very carefully. How bad is this? This this is not an authoritarian where it's like, oh, you have this document that says you're free. Well, we have to honor it. (laughs) That's this quote unquote dystopian future. They're honoring the signed document from a dead warden who is only on the condition that case help the warden. And she doesn't even do it. Case doesn't live up to her end of the bargain. The warden is killed, assassinated by this conspiracy, and they still honor her release. And she finds, she finds him in Mexico. <laughs> it's 
crazy. What kind of a world is this? <laughs> Actually, that government sounds really good that it is... The rule of law is so important. Clearly, the, the, the spirit of the law is not being enforced. They still follow the letter of the law. <laughs> what, do they, what do people have to complain about this government? It actually sounds like it's a very competent government. And, and generous, you know? The fact that they're even... Well, well, it's like, okay, we really do need to deconstruct this just a little bit. I mean, you have workers that, and the police that are out protesting because the company went out of business... I don't understand. They went out of business. Yeah. And now you've got a government that seems to be, well, if you, despite the fact that you have not in any way, shape, or form lived up to anything other than the technicality that this agreement exists, mm-hmm. we're going to honor it. What does anybody have a beef with this other than that the economy is not doing very well? And you know what? I didn't think about it until just now, but the warden's whole thing is she doesn't want... Frankenstein to win because it'll be Frankenstein's fifth win, even though yeah. it's a new Frankenstein, and she'll have to release Jason Statham. But nobody knows who Frankenstein is, so she would still feel obligated to release Statham, <laughs> even though she could just be like, oh yeah, we released Frankenstein. We did it. Just tell the world, yeah, we let him go. He's gone now. I mean, like the running man, where those, those guys are waving on, you know, on the vacation because right, exactly, they're the yeah. successful contestant. That's a dystopia. <laughs> Thank you, yes. Why is she so concerned? Like, I can't let for, uh, Statham win because I'll have to release him. Why do you have to release him? Aren't you an evil warden? Just have Jason <laughs> Clark go put him back in jail. I set these arbitrary rules, and now I must follow them. <laughs> Even though nobody knows who Frankenstein is. <laughs> This movie it makes no sense at all. <laughs> oh man, that that's that's a good way to end right there. Is yeah. that we've established that this is actually a very very high functioning government that just follows the letter of agreements no matter what. Yeah, they they don't bend the rules at all, even when the rules do not benefit them. No, it's, it's when it's significantly to their detriment they still <laughs> go forward. I mean, I can't. I honestly. Is there a government that has that the corruption level is so low that even when the spirit of an agreement is not being <laughs> adhered to, that it still honors the agreement right. with criminals, no less? And, and she, Case, the navigator, is so confident that she will be released that she volunteers. I'll, I'll pose as Frankenstein because I am so confident that they will honor this piece of paper. <laughs> that the rule of contracts in this government. So it's not yeah, it's, it's not just that the government honors these contracts, but that the citizenry is so has so much faith in its government that she is willing to go back because she has so much faith that they'll honor this document. There's so much precedent that the documents are adhered to that (laughs) she's willing to say, yeah, I'm not worried. I fear no reprisal. (laughs) Now do you agree with me that you'd rather live in this dystopia than the the real world? It's basically a utopia. (laughs) It kind of is. (laughs) People get a cool race every six months for their entertainment. You know, it deals with the prison population in a creative way. You know, there's, it, I mean, the whole the whole issue is overcrowded prisons. They found a solution. You're, you're right. We have broken this down perfectly. Is that <laughs> it's not that far from the real 2008 when it was released, and it seems like it's a little bit fairer of a government than anybody <laughs> has ever experienced. That's why they don't show enough context because it's uh, it's actually quite yeah. People you know, are like, wait a minute, I want to sign up for this. Right. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Well, that was uh, that was an interesting bonus episode, uh, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I think we ended up finding some things to talk about, but yeah. uh, there's not. It's just so straight ahead and straightforward. Yeah. In some ways, in an interesting way, I, I, I just it's interesting to do a death race movie that takes itself this seriously, which is probably not a good idea. But you know, 
I think it works for what it's trying to do, which is not much. Yeah. Again, for the three bucks, I'm not going to say like I felt like I was ripped off, but don't need to revisit it after this episode. So Yeah, I agree with that. So uh, what have we got on tap? We're going to do one more bonus episode. Yep, we're going to do one more bonus episode, which is going to be an unusual one. Yes, because it's going to be two movies. Two movies. We're going to compare and contrast two movies. And you know, now that we're uh, deep into the Stallone filmography, um, you know, obviously we're taking a break from it. But uh, uh, there are a couple of movies from the 70s. Well, there's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that we didn't cover because he only had a tiny, tiny role. Right. We were not uh, counting cameos for him. Yeah. Well, it's not even a cameo because he wasn't famous yet. It's just like a tiny you know, yeah, part. I don't even think he speaks. If I remember, I remember correctly. Oh, I've okay. seen both these movies. So Arnold is in a movie called The Long Goodbye, 1973. Uh, and it's a Philip Marlowe. It's a Raymond Chandler adaptation. You know, his character, Philip Marlowe, the detective. Uh, for whatever reason, in the 70s, there was like an uptick in interest in Raymond Chandler novels. And they made a couple of adaptations. And this was one of them. And one of the other ones was Farewell, My Lovely from 1975, in which Sylvester Stallone had a tiny part. Yeah, it's an interesting way, and I've seen neither one, so I'm uh, interested to compare and contrast and see for the first time. And again, this kind of covers, in some ways, a little bit different of a genre for us, too, in this podcast. For both of them, we, I can't think of anything that's going to be that close to, to what these are. Detective stories? Yeah. Yeah, and this is much more up my alley. I love... Uh, I mean, I've I've not read a ton of Raymond Chandler, but I've read The Big Sleep, and I really like the '40s adaptation of The Big Sleep with uh, Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart was kind of made this character famous of Philip Marlowe, and so when they re- started doing more Philip Marlowe movies in the '70s, they were kind of deconstruction. So Farewell, Farewell My Lovely stars Robert Mitchum as Philip Marlowe, Marlowe and Long Goodbye stars Elliot Gould. So. Oh. Elliot Gould. <laughs> yeah. That, that one's much more of like a 70s deconstruction. It's kind of putting a new spin on it, whereas the long, uh, Farewell My Lovely is more of a traditional 40s take on private eye stuff. But, you know, it's just a weird coincidence that it just so happened these two Philip Marlowe movies, starring different people as Philip Marlowe, but still, both of them happen to have... A connection to mm-hmm. Arnold and Stallone. Yeah, Arnold's in one and Stallone's in the other. Both of them have tiny parts, but... Uh, you know, I'll admit this was my idea, and yeah, this I'm is more up my alley than yours. But uh, we'll see. It's uh, I've seen both of them. It's been a while for both. I will definitely say this: the three bonus episodes we're doing for this season talk about differences in what we've covered. Yeah, that's true. From Son of Rambo to Death Race to two Philip Marlowe movies. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping you'll enjoy these because they're seventies cinema. That's that part of it's up your alley. But yeah. you know, it's it's. 70s films that are hearkening back to 40s films, so they're, that's, oh. that's a little unusual. I mean, and I don't love a detective story as much as you do, but that, I, I like them. I just don't love them. You know, it's not as much up my alley, so I'm looking forward to it just for that. Okay, good. Yeah. So, yeah, that'll be the next episode. Uh, again, we're on a break, so undetermined when that'll go up, but probably four weeks from this, maybe longer, maybe shorter. But, uh, you know, we're building our buffer. We, we try to, like, get enough uh, episodes in the can before we start our seasons. So that uh, we're not missing weeks. It if helps. something comes up, yeah, it helps to have some time, have a buffer. So that's... And hopefully these, uh, you enjoy them. So we'll be back with the Philip Marlowe Collection. Sitting by.